0: Welcome back, everybody. This is from Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse 19. I ask you to stand for the scripture out of respect for the the word of God. And it's not that us sitting uh, makes a difference or whatever, but we just do what we can. So if you're unable to, to stand, why don't we just extend a hand of blessing over the scripture. This is from Ephesians two. It says this, you are no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone, and this is it right here. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here in what he's building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation now he's using you fitting you in brick by brick stone by stone with christ jesus as the cornerstone that holds all parts together we see it taking shape day after day a holy temple built by god all of us built into it a temple in which god is quite at home Let's pray as we begin. Jesus, we are so grateful for your presence today. We are so grateful for your house that we call a home. God, we ask that you'd be with us as we study your word today, as we talk a little bit more about what it means to be the church. God, we ask that you would just be with us. You'd soften our hearts. You'd open our eyes. You'd open our ears. You'd open our minds to all that it is you have for us. God, we want to leave here different. We want to leave here challenged. We want to leave here changed. And so, Jesus, it's in your name that we have gathered and your name that we, that we pray, the name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. amen. Why don't you grab a seat, everybody? So good to see you. I've already seen you from stage once today, but it's good to see you again. Welcome home. So glad you decided to join us. Um, with all the options that you have on a beautiful Sunday in Southern California, you decided to be here, and that is huge. It's huge, and it actually leads into what we're gonna be talking about today. As we discuss and consider the priority that God gives his people, that we'd be a people of ownership. A people of ownership. Now, when you hear the word ownership, or what it means to be an owner, what comes to mind? I know for me growing up, owning felt simultaneously a blessing and a burden. It seemed oftentimes impossible, but also kind of restrictive at times. Like it was this unattainable opportunity only available to old responsible people, but also a metaphorical cement that anchors you to something, limiting all future options you might want to pursue. Like for example, when you buy a car, Sure, there are, there are no more payments to make, and it's, and it's yours, but it's also a whole lot harder to exchange than the lease, right? Or when you pay off the phone, I have one more payment left on my phone, I'm so excited. And once you pay it off, there's no more fees, but, but also it's a whole lot harder to upgrade later. When you finally marry that guy or girl, yes, the search is over, but now the search is over. Once you own that house, yeah, you reap the benefits of equity. You reap the benefits of knowing your neighbors and even like the personal growth that comes from calling a place home. There's so much good to owning, but it also means that you're committing to a property and to a people and a place, which makes it a whole lot harder to move on from when things get hard than when you're renting. Being an owner is huge. It's a huge win. It's a huge win, but, but it also says something. It says something that sometimes we're not always ready to say, and that's, I am here to stay. I'm here to stay, count me in. Count me in, I'm committed. Sometimes it's hard to say, but, but why is it hard for us to choose to stay? Why is it hard for us to choose loyalty over the endless freedom Why do we so often like to keep our options open instead of committing where we are? Well, I think it really comes down to, um, as people from the dawn of humanity, we have been convinced and conditioned to believe that what matters most is our own unique personal satisfaction and happiness. From the garden in Genesis 3 to literally our declaration of independence as Americans, we have been told that we deserve what we want, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's one of our inalienable rights. So if something or someone doesn't bring us happiness, if something or someone doesn't bring us instant gratification, or, or the happiness begins to wear off as the honeymoon transitions into reality, you know what I mean? It's in us as people to look for the nearest exit. It's in us, instead of planting roots deep enough to weather the highs and lows of the human experience, we so often as people, two things, we often follow the path of least resistance, avoiding any discomfort at all costs, because we're chasing after happiness, or B, we we expect someone else to do the work, And shelter us from any discomfort, from any storm, so we can stick our head in the sand and continue to work on us. And we see it, right? We see it everywhere we look in a world of chronic renters, always wanting the benefits of owning, but never willing to sacrifice their declaration of independence to call somewhere home. We see it in relationships where it's good until it's not. And then it's time to find that feeling again with someone else. We see it in our jobs where we're loyal until a better opportunity comes around. And uh, and so we leave it to, to climb that corporate ladder. We see it in our communities where we want real connection. We want real connection. That is until it complicates our schedules. And we even see it in the church. And this is obviously what I'm getting to here. Where we we're committed. We got the bumper sticker on our car. We wear the t-shirt, we got the mug in the cabinet, and we show up. We show up at least twice a month. That is until the pastor says something we disagree with. We show up until the church decides to restructure some ministries. We show up until the church decides to stay faithful to its orthodox roots instead of chasing a political fad. We're here until the church updates the paint or replaces the carpet. We're here until the music changes or we stop singing the songs I like. We're here my personal favorite until I stop feeling fed. Until I stop feeling fed, then I'm out. We're here and then I'm out. And listen, there are absolutely hear me say this. There are absolutely viable reasons for leaving a church. No doubt, some of some of you here today have experienced them like tensions with theology tensions with orthodoxy, even tensions with um, like ministry philosophy and like where we're going as a community. Absolutely, no doubt. And sometimes God just reshuffles the deck. He pushes his pieces around to fulfill his mission, no doubt. But far more often than not, friends, people leave churches because they were never really there. People leave churches because they were just renting. And so when their preferences or perspectives were challenged, they saw no problem shopping for the next place that would check the right boxes until, of course, those don't too. Instead of investing and committing, they, they continue to chase the path of least resistance because for them, church is all about them. And guess what God has to say about this? I remember a couple of years ago, pastoring in Wisconsin, and this guy I loved, amazing guy. I loved him. I invested in him. I was with him uh, through thick and thin. I helped walk him through relational trauma and forgiveness, these hard seasons, baptized him in front of the whole community. It was this beautiful moment. And then one day he asked to meet with me randomly, and he just said, David, I, I want you to know I'm leaving the church. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is out of nowhere. And he said, he said, listen, David, your, your sermons are just too surface for me. I need to go deeper. You keep, you keep serving me milk and I want to chew on some meat. You know, and after the shock wore off from me, because again, I was like committed to this guy. I loved him. I had to say, dude, like if you want to go deeper, it's up to you to plant roots. That's up to you. I can't do that for you. I can't feed you for a week with one sermon on a Sunday. You've got to learn to eat at home. Amen. And you're not going to go deeper sitting on the surface of a different church. You have to decide to commit. You have to decide to commit, and not just because of what it does for you. You have to decide to commit for what you can do for others. And, you know, I eventually said to him, go with God. He had his mind made up, and I, and I love him, and we left on, on good terms. And I'm not here complaining. I'm not here pointing fingers or causing the alarm. I, I'm just saying, like, for the, the reality for him and, and for us is that, is that we'll never find what's worth committing to until we choose to commit. We'll never find the perfect person, place, or thing until we decide to see the situation as an owner. And that's because owners aren't so focused on what something is today, but rather as an owner is committed to what it could be tomorrow. An owner can see beyond what's missing. An owner can see beyond disappointments and into what's possible with just a little investment. And friends, that's exactly what I believe God is calling his church to be, a people of ownership. And that's because God, our God, is a God of ownership. None of this is random. God only expects us to be like him. And we see it all throughout the scriptures. God chose to see beyond what's missing into what's possible with just a little sacrifice, with just a little investment. Our God, friends, plants deep roots. Our God makes unwavering commitments called covenants with absolute loyalty. And as his people, again, his only expectation is that we would do the same, that we would do what he does. Regardless of where you've been or what you have, God simply wants you to choose to lay your freedoms down on the altar for him to use. God just wants you to choose to build something better together than you could ever build on your own. God wants us to be a people of ownership in a world of endless options. But what what does that look like? And how do we get there? That is the question. If you have your Bibles, let's take a look. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 35 today. Exodus 35. And if you're kind of new to the Bible, Exodus is the second book of the scriptures right after Genesis. And I'll give you a bit of context for the book in a moment. But before we get there, I just want you to know that I know this is what you actually want. You know, like, I'm under no illusion. I'm I'm not here scolding you today. I I know that you are committed to what God is doing here. Whether you've you've been here for 50 years or five weeks, I know the vast majority of of you want to commit the bricks of your life to this house that God is building. No doubt. No doubt. You're here instead of the beach or brunch. And that says something. But I also want you to know that even with the best intentions, it can be so easy to slip into an entitled mindset. Even the best of us, we slip into a sense of entitlement, chasing preference in pursuit of happiness. And so just for good measure, as we begin this today, we're gonna be talking about this to create a clean line of distinction, as a reminder for most, but an encouragement for everyone, for everyone that God wants us all of us with all of us to make the most of every opportunity to make the most of every opportunity, but that can't happen if we're always shopping for better options. We need to be a people of commitment, loyalty, and ownership. All right, so here we go. Exodus 35. It is an incredible story. I know most of you already know it, but let me just give you the backstory here. It's a story of a people choosing to embrace a life of commitment and ownership, and it picks up 20 chapters after Israel was freed from captivity in Egypt, this incredible moment where God shows up to fulfill his mission, to care for his people into the millions now Israel from slavery. But what's really interesting is, as as Israel was making their way with the wages that they earned as slaves, after seeing the great power of God, there were actually a bunch of other folks that decided to join Israel as they went. And these were not people of Israel, but they decided to join the family of God. Isn't that neat? In response to the great power of God, the people of God grew. So cool. So after they leave, They escape Pharaoh, they cross the Red Sea, they make it to Mount Sinai where God gives Moses the law or the Ten Commandments. And it's there that that he expands on this as he starts to give some instructions. And so God speaks, Moses listens, and now they have the instructions to start building their church, to build their church or tabernacle according to God's specifications that would be mobile as they make their way through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And for five chapters in Exodus, five chapters, and these aren't short, it goes into great detail about how these people were to build the church, about about what materials to use and what order and where it needs to come from. It was all about a people born into this family, but also a people that have only been part of the community for a couple months. They're all working together to build something great. And that's where Exodus 35 picks up, check this out. It's a bit of scripture, but just follow me. It says, then Moses said to the whole community of Israel, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen and goat hair for cloth, tanned ram skins and fine goatskin leather, Um, Achaia wood Olive oil for the lambs Spices and anointing oil The fragrance of incense Onyx stones And other gemstones Can be set in the ephod And the priest's chest piece Come all of you Who are gifted craftsmen Construct everything That the Lord has commanded the tabernacle and its tent, its covering, class, frames, crossbars, posts, base, the ark and its carrying poles, the ark's cover, the place of atonement, the inner curtain to the shield of the ark, the table, its carrying poles, and all its utensils. And he keeps on going for six more verses before we see this in verse 20. It says, so the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to their tents. All whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord in response. They brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle, for the performance of its rituals, for the sacred garments. Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing. They brought to the Lord their offerings of gold, brooches, earrings, rings from their fingers, from their fingers and necklaces, they presented gold objects of every kind in a special offering to the Lord all those who owned the following items willingly brought them blue purple scarlet thread fine linen goat hair for cloth tanned ram skins and fine goatskin leather all those who had all and all who had silver and bronze objects gave them as sacred offerings to the Lord and those who had wood brought it to use in the project we're almost done i'm sorry almost done here verse 25 all the women who were skilled in sewing. Chris, come on, where are you, Chris? There you are. All the women who were skilled in sewing and spinning prepared blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen cloth. All the women who were willing to use their skills to spin the goat hair into yarn. We're almost done. The leaders brought onyx stones and the special gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. They also brought spices and olive oil for light and anointing oil and fragrant incense. This is it. So the people of Israel... Every man and woman who was eager to help in the work of the Lord had given them through Moses, brought their gifts, and gave them freely to the Lord. Brought, them, brought their gifts and gave them freely to the Lord. Now, what did we just read? Like 30 verses in Exodus 35. Lots of detail. What we just saw is that God was building a home. He was building a home, a tabernacle, where he could meet with his people. And God, being God, could have spoke the Taj Mahal or the Staple Center into being. He could have spoken it into being because he is God, but he instead decided to build his house with his people, with us. Because something happens as individuals and as a community when we choose to contribute to make something great together. God needed his people to stop seeing themselves as rescued slaves wandering through the wilderness. He needed them to understand that they were the prize of his creation, the prize of his creation and the focus of his love. And they were like we covered last week, they were now an integral part of his mission on earth. Whether they were from the original tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes, or they were just some randoms that joined the family during the Exodus. God wanted them to know that they were all essential, all essential to the future he was forming. There weren't just passive renters of God's goodness. Now they were all owners in the eternal family of God. And isn't that just amazing? It's totally incredible. And I think it's something we could all sit on for just a moment. Because I have to believe that there are some of you in this room who think, man, good story, we're hanging out in this great space, and, and it's a lot of history, and I'm sure God did some cool stuff here, but you know, I'm new, I'm just visiting, just checking it out to see if it's right for me, and listen, praise God, you're here, but I need you to know that God wants to use you, whether it's here or somewhere else, he, he, he wants to, to use you because you are essential to the future you are, he is forming. And there's no 30-day free trial. There's no probationary period where you only have limited access to what God is building. No, if you're here, then you're essential now, and God wants to use you. Just like God wants to use the folks who have been here for 60 years. Has anyone been here for 60 years? Close. Don Carlson, God wants to use you. Let's go. God wants to use those who have been here a long time who might look around and think, my best years are behind me. God wants to use those who think your influence, your effectiveness is waning. And just, uh, it's to you that God is saying in this moment as well that you are essential to the future God is forming here. And I believe with all my heart, with all my heart, the success of this church will only be found in a multi-generational expression of owners. Multi-generational expression of owners where we all hear We all see and we all believe that everyone here has something to offer. Everyone has something to offer. No one is too old. No one's too young. No one is too broken or too blind, too new or too inexperienced with church stuff. Everyone matters. Everyone is essential. And God is calling all of us into greater ownership. This is Exodus 35. Now, okay, you might be thinking, David, oh, that sounds really cool. That sounds great, inspiring stuff, but it feels a little like high-pressure sales right now. It's my second time here, and churches are always asking for handouts, so, I mean, are we just talking about money? Is, uh, what are we doing right now? And You might be call it being a people of ownership, but doesn't that just mean more money? Okay, good question. The honest answer to that question is absolutely not. Over the past four months, we haven't given more than five minutes to talk about money. We haven't passed the basket. We haven't done these, like, online giving options or guilted anyone into anything. More than anything, we wanted to adopt what we see in verse 21, that all whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. This was our model. (laughs) Yeah, this was our model. And then what's so incredible is that for the first time in 20 months, we're actually in the black. How about that? Financial update, okay? We had a really hard 2020, but for the first time in 20 months, we're in the black. God has been so good and you have been so faithful. We're under budget and there's money in the bank. Praise God, amen? So I'm not here to convince you about anything. I'm not here to ask you for anything. I just want you to know what it means to be the church in this restless world of options. I don't want you to be passive shareholders, but hands on boots on the ground owners in what God is building here, here on the, the corner of community in La Crescenta. I just want you to be a people of ownership. This is the dream. And listen, if you're still with me and not running for the door after all of that, if you're still interested in what this might look like, I I see it playing out in, in a few ways, mostly three key ways found in the scripture. But what ownership really looks like here, and if you want to step into this greater life, it all comes down to these three things. It comes down to your schedule, it comes down to your skills, and your stuff. Some people might say time, talent, and treasure, but I think this hits me a little harder When I get out my phone and I look at my calendar, your schedule, your skills and your stuff. Let's start with schedule in verse 20. We see that the whole of Israel, the whole of Israel showed up to hear from Moses. They showed up to hear what was needed to move forward. The whole community of Israel. Now, I don't know, again, if this is literally the million folks that left captivity in Egypt, or if it was delegates. All that's written is that everyone was there and everyone who was a part of the family, everyone who saw God do amazing things, everyone that had been rescued by the power of God, they were all there. Their schedules reflected their commitment. Schedules reflected their commitment. They showed up to hear from God. And that, without a doubt, is the first piece of what it means to be a people of ownership. It's showing up. It's just showing up. It's prioritizing what God is doing here enough to be here. Hmm. It's focusing your time, surrendering your schedule to God because you believe in what could be. This is being an owner. It's not showing up once a month to check a box or every couple weeks to make you feel better about yourself. This isn't a self-help seminar. No, it's saying, God, what you're doing here matters. I believe what you're doing here matters and I want to invest my time and sacrifice my schedule to contribute in ways only I can. And listen, this is something that many of you are already doing and I'm so impressed. Every week I see you, praise the Lord. I love it. I say it all the time. You could be anywhere else on a Sunday, but you choose to be here. And so instead of maybe, am I coming? Maybe asking yourself a different question. When you think about your schedule, it's not should I be here, but instead, why am I here? Why are you here? Is it to learn and receive? Is Is it a duty or routine? Your friends, community, is it to go deep and grow? Because all those things are good, amen. All those things matter, but owners, friends, owners show up for a different reason. Owners don't show up to receive. Owners show up to give. Owners show up to serve. Owners adjust their schedules to build what's next, to contribute, to plant roots and lift others up. Owners don't think about what they can get out of it, but rather what they can give to it they can give to it. And that's exactly what we see in our next two points, from schedule to skills. And I just love this picture in Exodus 35, Moses saying, verse 10, he says, come all of you who are gifted craftsmen, construct everything that the Lord has commanded. Then further down, verse 25, it says, all the women who were skilled in sewing and spinning prepared blue and purple and scarlet thread. All the women who were willing used their skills. Now, these folks, they weren't waiting around for someone else to do the work. They were waiting around. If they were able, if they were gifted, they brought their skills before the Lord and said, "Use me." Just use me. They weren't hiring a construction company to build their church. No, they saw this house as their home, and they were going to do whatever they could to contribute. Reminds me of a few folks we have here in the church who are going to hate me for mentioning them, but I have to because I can't help but honor their ownership. The first being, and I don't know if he's here today, but Norm Courtney, are you here? No? Okay. He's hiding. Okay, I I dig that. Norm, he is a skilled craftsman. Two years ago, before I got here, he built this drum enclosure to help us with worship. We need a drummer, okay, but... We got the enclosure, (laughs) start practicing. So two years ago, he built the enclosure for the church. He built this little stage I'm standing on right now. Hmm. He and Rick Wintermute, they built the tech booth that uh, Rebecca and Tracy are in right now. They turned our covered parking lot into an outdoor auditorium. (laughs) And most recently they poured these concrete countertops in our new conference room. This guy embodies Ownership seen in verse 10. Come all of you who are gifted craftsmen. The second person, without a doubt, is Brad Short. I don't know if Brad's here or not. But Brad, this guy is beyond skilled to do just about anything. His most recent project is that there were these seemingly random doors that existed between Pastor Jeff, Karen, and Margie's offices down in the office wing. Like there were like four doors going into an office. And and so I was like, guys, do we really need these doors? And and they said, no, let's get rid of him. Next thing I know, Brad shows up, rips the doors out, replaces the framing in there, starts drywalling, and they're going to be done this next week. Ridiculous. And we could have just hired someone to do it. Come and do the work. But Brad, he's an owner. And he he heard the call from verse 10. Come, all of you who are gifted craftsmen. And again, I, I know they hate being recognized, but I honor them in hopes that you might begin to see your skills playing a key role in the life of this community. You know how to paint? We need you. We do. You're good with money? We need you. You know how to sew? Chris. If you didn't know, Chris Carlson, she sewed our little um, the organ cover here that's on the edge and also the trim around our new screen. You know how to sew, we need you. You know how to make incredible El Salvadorian food, we need you, extra. <laughs> we do, are you here today too? Okay. You sing, you play drums, you know how to work with computers, you're good with social media, graphic design, whatever it might be, we need you. We need you, so think it over. What skills do you have to bring before the Lord today? There's a connect card probably around you somewhere. If you think of it, fill it out, let us know. Let us know, I mean y'all, I'm playing guitar and preaching on the same day. You never know what idea I'm gonna get next, okay? I might go serve with the kids after this, I just have no idea. (laughs) But we need you. We need what you have to offer. You are essential to the future of this community. So come, all you who are gifted, bring your skills before the Lord. Bring your skills before the Lord. And this connects perfectly to our third point, your skills and your stuff. Your stuff. An owner brings their schedule, their skills, and their stuff. And what's so amazing and something we all need to see in the text is that God in this scene, he never asks uh, his people to give what's not theirs. God never asks his people to be who they aren't. No, God just asks his people to bring what they have. God never asks for what they don't, only for what they have, to lay everything down on the altar before him. And we see this in verse 22 one more time. Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing. They brought to the Lord their offerings. All who owned the following items willingly brought them as a sacred offering to the Lord. Listen, God doesn't want what's not yours. He doesn't. He only wants you to begin to see that what you have is now available for his good work. Not what you don't, only what you do. And for some of you, that starts with giving what you have to the church. You've been around for a while. And whether it's five bucks or 500, we all have stuff that God says is essential to the future He's building here. So, again, maybe for you to begin to see yourself and as an owner, it, you just need to start bringing your offering. Bring your offering here. Maybe for others, you've been holding back on your offering and you need to start upping what you offer. I don't know. We don't talk about money here. I don't know what you give or what you have, but you do, and God does. And it's God's heart that we would be owners of this place, that we would be owners here in all that he is doing, all in with our time, all in with our talents, all in with our treasures, all in with our schedule, our skills, and our stuff. Whether you've been your your entire life or, or you're like those extras leaving Egypt, still trying to figure out where you fit, God is inviting you to bring what you have to this community to bring your life and choose to invest it in this place, in this people, and in this home. Because Ephesians two, God is building a home. God is building a home and he's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he's building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using us and he's fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus, as the cornerstone. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. God is building a home. So let us be a church that willingly surrenders our schedules before the Lord, making our presence here a priority over our preferences. And let us be a family that commits all we are, all we have, and all that our, all our we know and our skills to the building a better home for one another. And finally, let us be a community that lives open-handed with our stuff, trusting that all we have is God's anyway, because it is. My dad told me um, not too long ago, well, he's, it's been a motto of our family. He just said, if you walk around with open hands, yeah, some stuff might slip through, but your hands are open to catch what God gives next. Let us be a a community that lives with open hands. This is the way of Jesus and what it takes to be a people of ownership. So let us follow him. Let us follow him. Now, as we close um, today, Rebecca's going to come up and lead us in uh, a moment of response. First, with our taking communion. You'll see communion on the chair around you. And then a song that really speaks To this priority of ownership. But before she does, please know that I get this message might feel a bit claustrophobic. (laughs) You know, for some of you, you feel the walls kind of coming around you, and it goes against everything we hear out in the world that we deserve happiness, we deserve what we want. I get it. But as the church, as the church, we are expected to live different than the world. We're expected to be different. When the world keeps options open, we double down on commitment. When the world shifts from loyalty to loyalty, we plant roots. When the world is chronically renting purpose and place, passions, we invest our lives to build a home that will carry us into eternity. When the world says, I want what's mine, we say, God, all I have is yours. This is the way of Jesus. This is what makes the church unique and distinct in a world full of options. We're a people of ownership because our God is a God who sees beyond what is today and what could be with just a little investment. So what do you say? Why are you here? What can you do? And what will you bring? Everyone is essential. Everyone's essential. Who you are matters here. So let us contend for one another that we would be a people of ownership. I want to pray for you. And then immediately after, we'll be taking communion. Practically, uh, you'll see these little cups on your, on your chair. They're, they're, they're okay. You know what I mean. It's like you tear the top off, and it's like cardboard. But listen, the Lord is good, and if the Lord can bring dry bones to life, he can make these portable communion cups significant in our hearts and minds. Amen. Amen. Until, we, until we get that next fresh loaf of bread from the Morocco girls, this is, uh, this is what we have to, to offer today. And so um, practically, we're going to be leading a song. I'm going to pray. And then as soon as we're done, um, you can open up the lid. You can take the bread at your own time. In remembrance of the work that Jesus did, the rescuing saving work that he did on the cross, his body broken. And then you can take the next piece off and drink the cup, his blood poured out, his body buried to rise again, to guarantee who we are now as people, as family. So you can take this at your time, spend some time to think, but really again, wrapping your head around this question of why are you here? Why are you here? What can you offer and what will you bring before the Lord today? So I want to pray courage over you that you would be able to draw a line in the sand today, that today would feel like a new day to say, this is my house. This is my house. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We're so grateful that you are building us into something bigger and better together. God, that you, you didn't just use who came before, but God, you want to use us here and now to build your house, to build your church. God, you want, you want to control our schedule. God, you want to use our skills and multiply our stuff for your glory and your kingdom. And so God, we ask today that you would just humble us. God, that you would strip back any of the residual pursuit of happiness that is wired into our brains, God, but instead, we would say the pursuit of your glory on earth. God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, it's all for your glory. And So Jesus, we're just so grateful for today. We're so grateful that you want to use us. It doesn't make any sense, but you still do. And so God, in this moment, we ask that you just open our eyes to our schedule, our skills, our stuff, God our commitment, our loyalty, our ownership here in this house. So God, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray the name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. You can take communion. Even when I'm empty, I will bring an offering. I can never live a lie. That cost me nothing. I just want the real thing. No matter where it takes me, I refuse to pray over the dozen.